In today's video, we're going to be talking about a serious energy crisis, which I haven't mentioned before, but this energy crisis is actually so bad that it could cause blackouts in the USA within just 25 days. Now, if you've seen the headlines last month, about 25 days left of diesel fuel, then you'll sort of understand what I'm talking about here. But this doesn't just apply to the USA, it also applies to mainland Europe and somewhat the United Kingdom as well. So there's a lot of countries at stake uh, right now with this major, major problem. This is a sleeping giant at the moment, which is being made worse every single day. I'm going to get into all of this, but if you're in Canada, don't worry, you guys are off the hook. You've got plenty of energy because you're actually exporting a lot of your energy to the USA right now. But let's get into this then. What exactly is going on? And um, what is this headline you keep hearing about saying the USA might go back to the dark ages in 25 days unless this is resolved? Well, they're predominantly talking about this diesel crisis. And again, we've talked about diesel a little bit before, but a lot of people really underestimate the power of diesel. Not only does it go into vehicles, personal vehicles, it goes into the trucking industry, uh, freight, rail, uh, diesel generators that power all sorts of things from nuclear reactors as the, the backup redundancy to uh, oil and coal and natural gas and all sorts of other things. Diesel is usually the backup generator for a lot of these services. Of course, we've also mentioned how diesel is responsible for the supply chain and agriculture as well. So we've touched on this before, but if you think about a combine harvester, it runs on diesel, as does most of the other farm equipment. So this is why diesel is so important, not just to the starting point, so farming, but right the way through the supply chain to eventually getting on your dinner table. And the reason I'm making this video today and why I didn't make it last month with all the other YouTubers that were making these videos was because I wanted to actually see if there really was 25 days left. So everyone was saying, in 25 days, that's it, game over, lights out. I really wanted to just see and, and test that principle and, and actually look at what was really going on. So firstly, let's start with the bottom line here. In 25 days, is the USA gonna run out of diesel fuel? And the answer is no, but it's possible. So the reason why is because the reserves, the strategic reserves are at an all, in fact, the lowest in history right now. And this is for a number of reasons, but a lot of the strategic oil reserve is being released. And next month, so just in a week or two's time, actually, the current administration is going to release another 15 million barrels in order to help keep gas prices low. Now, if you're not American watching, gas prices doesn't mean natural gas. That means fueled for the vehicle. So just a, a difference in language there. So what they mean by the 25 days is that that is the amount of production that is left in the USA. And, and this is catastrophic, actually. I'm going to go into and explain a little more on this. But this has never before happened in history, except for when uh, these sort of fuels were first created. But this has never happened before, where there's only 25 days worth of supply and storage left. Now, what's actually happening is a very 
complex situation. We've talked about this before on the channel. So you've got a lot of companies, oil and gas, that want to invest into more infrastructure. They want to repair their existing facilities. A lot of these facilities were turned off during 2020 and, and the lockdowns. And it's not simple. You don't just flick a switch and that's it. It's not like going to your office in the morning, you flick on the lights and there you go, you're back in business. This is a lot more complicated. When you wind everything down, it takes a lot of work to get it all going again. And of course, you've got all the staffing and you've got all the health and safety. It's very complex. Now, how much does it cost to build a new refinery? That is somewhere in the region of $1 billion. And not just that, it can take up to 10 years worth of red tape to actually get it approved because of all the environmental policies that the administration has right now. Also to add on top of this, over the last two years, 11 US refineries have closed their doors, potentially never to reopen again. And again, this is due to current environmental policies and uh, CO2 emissions and greenhouse gases and, and everything else that surrounds that. Now, here's one of the other big challenges which no one really talks about. Oil demand and energy demand from what's known as fossil fuels is increasing and it will continue to increase. Energy demand is increasing as the, the world becomes more complex, as the world uh, has more people. Uh, we, we need more energy for all of these things. But of course, the focus is not on uh, what's known as stable uh, energy, which we have used for a long time. It's reliable, it's stable. The focus now is on green energy, so renewables. And again, I just want to be very clear. I'm not against renewable energy, as many people think I am. I think renewables is, is a fantastic concept, and I definitely think it can take some of that weight of our energy consumption. The thing that people often misunderstand with, with my thoughts and views on renewables is that they don't realize that renewables aren't just created once and they last forever. They do have an expiration date. And a lot of the materials which I've studied that go into these renewables, um, they are very, very damaging for the environment. There are uncounted, untold mines in Africa. Uh, just the most terrible conditions and atrocities going on there. So people often don't look at the other side of the creation of these renewables. They only focus on the finished product and pat themselves on the back for having you know, done their part and, and having these finished products. They never want to know where that cobalt came from, for example, and, and the mine and who mined that cobalt and just how damaging that was to the environment. And the other problem I have with renewables is that they are simply not 100% reliable. So I think we're always going to need some sort of natural gas and oil in the background, even if that just takes the base load. Um, diesel generators as backups. I think these things are always going to be needed. We, we know they're reliable and it is very cheap to actually use these. So I just want to be clear on those points so that, because I keep getting called a, a climate denier, which is a, a word created by the media, by the way. Um, so I just want to be clear on, on my view on, on these energy sources, because I do think it's important to continue these refineries especially the ones that have been closed down and going to cost some money to retrofit and make more efficient and get them going again. I think it's important that we do this because look at the crisis that is this sleeping giant that is just waiting to happen to the United States, the wealthiest country 
on the planet simply because of all of these environmental policies. And again, I'm not in, against environmental policies. I live in nature. That's where I live right now. I love nature. So obviously I don't want to damage the environment, but I do believe there needs to be somewhat of a balance if we're going to meet our energy needs as we make this transition towards more renewable energy. Now, the other reason that a lot of these refineries are not coming back online is because there are penalties for doing so. So I know this sounds a little crazy, but I promise you it's true. If you actually look at GFANS and you look at some of these other organizations that now have somewhere in the region of 130 trillion US dollars under their control, how did they do that? It's very, very clever. And remember, the, the person that runs GFANS is the same person that runs the biggest renewable hedge fund on Earth. Talk about a conflict of interest there. But the way they've done it is they've created this control structure over the world of finance. And they've passed these uh, policies down through these financial institutions, starting with the big ones down to the smaller ones. So that means, for example, if you want to invest a billion dollars into a refinery, well, that doesn't fit the ESG policies and it wouldn't do well for your ESG score, which now goes on your stock ticker, which investors look at when they're going to be investing. Because they've been told, a lot of the hedge funds and, and investors have been told, make sure the company has a good ESG score because maybe in the future, and they use the word maybe, those companies won't be able to trade on the stock exchange. Their price will go down because they're not doing uh, the right things. They're too carbon intensive, etc., etc. So you think if you're one of these firms, are you going to invest a billion dollars into retrofitting a refinery which uses what these organizations consider to be the worst type of fuel? They don't want any of this kind of energy. Or are you simply going to use that those funds to invest into something that is approved and you get lower interest rates? I've not talked about this one before, but some of the loan financing now is a much higher interest rate if you try and finance something that is like a refinery versus something that is green energy. Yes, this now exists. So right now, if you think about let's say you wanted to go out there and build a new refinery and hey, forget about all the stuff I just talked about, you're going to build one anyway. It takes on anywhere on average from 15 to 20 years, plus, 10, plus there's 10 years of, of red tape as well. So this is why you're not seeing new refineries coming online and why they're choosing instead to retrofit. As a result of this, you have the refineries in the USA running at 102% of capacity. And this is another reason why, again, it's not a conspiracy why some of these refineries are breaking down and you know they're having problems. Some people think, oh, it's deliberate and sabotage. Honestly, this is just common sense. If you're running at over 100%, you're going to have much more wear and tear. You're going to have a lot more uh, damages and replacements needed. And the supply chain is so badly damaged that where are you going to get these parts from? Sure, you're going to have um, an excess. You're going to have a supply of spare parts but eventually they'll run out when you're operating just way over capacity. Now, is all of this Biden's fault? This is the other question. You know that I'm no lover of Joe Biden. Let's just, let's just say that. But is the fault with him for selling so much of America's energy right now and oil reserves? Not necessarily. This actually began under Trump in 2018. Not popular opinion, but he actually began this 
um, a few years ago where he was selling a lot of the excess energy. But key word here is excess. If this was not, you know, energy that, that the U.S. needed. The reserves were full or there were, uh, you know, good capacity with refining. So he was selling off the excess. When Biden came in, he just continued this policy. And it's been going ever since because it is profitable. It's bringing in a lot of money into the U.S. And when questioned about this, he was very clear. Why would I reverse this policy? Why would I stop exporting the energy? when we want to get more green energy, this encourages more green energy. But this is really causing a big problem for US citizens because what if the reserves do run out these 25 days as we go into this freezing cold winter and the reports are that it's pretty darn cold right now. So he just has to be very, very careful with this somewhat gamble is how I see it. Now I want to take you over to the shared screen for a moment, but the other issue is that the USA is not as energy independent as it used to be because of all these new environmental policies. The other problem I have with these environmental policies is that every country is focused on not being the producer of the energy. They're fine, absolutely fine being the consumer of the energy, but no one wants to be the producer because that goes against their CO2 and methane you know, emissions target when the bottom line is this is just a big sham does it matter where the energy is produced why aren't they calculating it based on where the energy is consumed and the reason why is because countries like the USA are some of the biggest consumers of energy on the planet so they obviously don't want to actually showcase that they want to be showcasing how much they produce instead so now you understand why Biden went begging to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and, you know, elsewhere to try and get energy. And now OPEC has cut the supply and now they're talking about sanctions and everything else. It all kind of starts to make sense. But don't worry, because our friends here at the WEF, as usual, have got a plan for you. Here it is. This is their 10 point plan for how to reduce energy consumption. So are you ready for this? Reduce speed limits on highways. Well, we're already seeing that start to come into play. Work from home up to three days a week. Car-free Sundays in cities. Public transport. Alternate car access to roads in cities. Increase car sharing and reduce fuel use. Promote efficient driving for trucks. Use existing HSR and night trains. Reduce business flights, electric vehicles and more efficient vehicles. Oil demand in four months reduced. But what is the trucking industry calling on Washington to do? These are the actions. Utilize the oil and natural gas found in the Gulf of Mexico by expediting lease sales and permits for offshore energy production. Number two, fast track onshore oil and natural gas permitting to spur expanded production. Announce realistic leasing and development opportunities for onshore and offshore energy. Expedite permitting for pipelines and other energy infrastructure. Encourage expedited carbon capture and sequestration rulemaking 
to ensure that America remains a world leader in emissions reduction. And if you're interested in finding out more on this topic, you can search for this document here, which came out in January 2022 from the US Energy Information Administration, proved reserves of crude oil and natural gas in the United States. Now, just look at this here. Meanwhile, a refinery built in North Dakota, the largest greenfield refinery since the 1977 Marathon plant, began its permitting process in 2013 and isn't expected to be completed until 2023, Forbes reported. When a recent Emerson poll asked Americans why they thought gas prices were so high, 39% blamed Joe Biden, 21% blamed the Russian invasion of Ukraine and resulting sanctions. Uh, and by the way, look at, look at what it says here. So it's not the invasion of Ukraine, it is the invasion of Ukraine and the sanctions. And 18% blamed the gas and oil companies. Well, now we know a little more about the situation with the gas and oil companies. I thought this was an interesting article as well by the New York Post, which I don't put any weight behind, by the way, but uh, it's interesting all the same. Oil sanctions are only hurting us and helping Putin. There's a better way. So they're talking about how Biden said the goal was to reduce the ruble to rubble. Uh, but eight months later, it's clear this has not worked. The ruble is not rubble. In fact, it's stronger than it was before the war in February, having risen about 23% against the dollar. And I just pulled up the stats to check this, and it is accurate. We can see here, this was before the war, around 75 to the dollar. Then the initial sanctions started to work and really were destroying the ruble power. But ever since, the ruble has hovered around 60 to the dollar. It further goes on to say the war and sanctions themselves have drastically increased energy costs since Russia's main export is energy products. This means Russia is raking it in. In September 21, Russia's current account surplus, the amount of money Russia is earning from its trading partners, was around $75 billion. Today, it is around $198 billion. And the energy information admin is predicting for US homeowners a 28% increase on last year with a household paying a base average of $930. So ladies and gents, that is you now up to date on this ongoing crisis. Remember, just because it says the USA has 25 days left, it doesn't mean that they're going to run out in 25 days. It is an ongoing cycle whilst the refineries are running at 102% capacity. But if there is a larger draw on energy demand, such as winter for additional heating, this could very quickly take this 25 days down to 20, 15, or even less days. At this point, this is where the USA would be in crisis mode and why some commentators say it could take the USA back to the dark ages. A little uh, alarmist in my opinion, but either way, it's not good for US residents and US citizens as the current administration tries to move the country away from its current uh, supply of energy into these new forms of renewable energy. Thank you so much for watching today. Take care, God bless, and I'll see you tomorrow.